0: Was squeaky. Wait. Uh, <clears throat> Hello. Is that is that better? <laughs> Hello. Hello. Is that is that? I don't know if that's better. You. I've. Uh, I got a. I got a frog in my throat. Is that that's what, what they that say that in the uh, in the industry? Is that
1: what they say in the industry? Yeah,
0: yeah. That's what they say in the industry. That's what they say in the uh, in the that. podcasting industry. I don't think they say that. I don't know. I. Uh, I. I don't. So. So I don't. I don't think. I don't think I've got the COVID, Don. Um, not yet. No, not yet. Uh, I, I I certainly don't feel under the weather, but my my I, my my throat, not my throat. My the way that I talk is different right now. I think it's allergies because uh, I'm I'm also a little stuffy. But I, well, I don't know. So, so yeah. Here's the thing, Ben. I googled
1: um, frog in the throat. Okay. And the first the first hit on the internet, which as we know is what you should always look oh, at. No. Oh, um, no. Is an article entitled. Uh, is that frog in your throat a sign of a serious illness? Now, I have to say that this, this <laughs> article is dated August 19th, 2019. Oh, no. So that's pre-COVID. So I don't think it, it precludes COVID. Um, but uh, for the average person, Ben, uh, it's a temporary change that goes away in a few days or weeks. Oh, gosh.
0: But it also, I'm looking at this. Um, th- there's a lot of uh, causes, well, of chronic voice change. It could be my uh, my tobacco usage, which which I don't have, or uh, my diabetes, tumors, or cancers. Or...
1: I feel I feel compelled to point out, though, uh, as I've told several times on this podcast, <laughs> when I first, I think you are smoking a cigarette. Okay. Much, so. Okay.
0: Well, and and here it is. It's come to bite me in the ass right here. That was Hello. it. <laughs> you know what? It could have been Don. It could have been the innovation that I had yesterday. It says that here. I no, I wasn't intubated at all. I almost maybe do a spit take. <laughs> I had
1: coffee in my mouth.
0: <clears throat> I hope I don't have tracheal stenosis. <laughs> that's that would be not good, uh, or a neurological gonna, disorder.
1: I'm just gonna navigate away from that page. Oh, right
0: Oh man, okay? yeah. I don't think it's a voice <laughs> disorder. That's what it's. Uh, that, that's what it says. Oh gosh, frog <laughs> frog in your throat. Texas Center for Voice and Swallowing. Oh gosh! It, see a frog in the throat. That's what it's what people say in in not this industry and in, in other industries that make that scare you. Um, it's a frog in the throat. Is it a medical term? No. <laughs> NBC <laughs> says no. It's not a medical term. Uh, all right. Um, so yeah. So I got a little. I got a little uh, thing. In in am my, my my voice sounds a little bit weird. So I'm. I apologize for that. So how I'm? Uh, this is how I'm treating it. Uh real professionals, Don, I think they drink uh tea, uh lemon and water. Yeah, uh, hot, hot water and lemon. Yeah. Hot yep. water. I'm just drinking uh black coffee like I do all the time. Uh so uh, that should that should do it right there. Um it's a it's a dark day here. Uh not not uh it's literally dark here in North Carolina. We're not, we're not necessarily figuratively dark. I mean, not, it could be figuratively well, dark too. But. Yeah. I mean, almost there, there are so many days that are figuratively dark right now. Um, so good things that are happening. Uh call recorder is is functioning. Um, and I didn't need to reinstall it. Yep, so that's good. Confirm. Here too. But um, but outside it is it's dreary. I, I realize that I'm podcasting in the dark. I prefer to not have lights on in my in my office, and my office is kind of Kind of dark. It's I I face out a window. And from about one o'clock in the afternoon till four o'clock, there's a sun that that strikes through the window at my face dramatically, like like you would see in a in a Hallmark movie, um, where, where there's just a sunbeam on a on a person. Um, but right now it's really dreary. And so I'm I'm sitting here and I you know I turn my, my displays on. And they they were piercingly bright, so I've had to turn them down. But I refuse to turn a light on. I just I I enjoy this the somewhat natural light from my window and the very unnatural light from my MacBook uh, uh, or my iMac and my and my display. But it's it's uh, it feels like it feels like fall. Like like it's got mm-hmm. a real you know rain you know crisp rainy kind of kind of feel to it. We, we no longer have. Nights uh, in in the high seventies with lots of humidity, like we like we normally do for six months of the year here in North Carolina, and it just I don't know it feels like uh, we've taken a turn, um, uh, we've taken a seasonal turn. Are you, do you are you experiencing um, leaf leaf changes and 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 that kind of kind of thing in 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 New Jersey?
1: Yeah, and I, I would say we are having very similar weather. It is an it is a, it is a <clears throat> overcast day. It's going to rain later today, um, and yeah, we're starting to see a little bit of leaf, of color change, not not a, t- a ton. I was talking with uh, my mom uh, over the weekend, as I usually do, and she reported that, you know, they're, they're in upstate New York, so that they're further along with some, some pretty dramatic uh, color changes. And so, yeah, it's definitely, the days are definitely shorter. Um, yeah, so it's, uh, we're, we're heading, we're heading into, <laughs> we're heading into the long winter.
0: It's a long, it's a long winter uh, coming up. Oh gosh. Um, I, <clears throat> I'm, I, I'm, we're, we're, we're gearing up for, um, Well, not gearing up. We'll continue a, a, a silly political season, uh, with, mm. with tonight's debate, which, uh, Oh, is there
1: a debate tonight? I did not know mm, that.
0: Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, it, and you know it,
1: what I, I can't wait for is I really can't wait for all
0: the hot takes tomorrow. Oh, that's true. Yeah. People are going to be, uh, yeah, that's it, it will almost off. <laughs> it's, right. Well, it's going to be very, there will be a lot of hot takes. I, so, okay. I've got a, cause you know, this is a political safety talk now. Uh, <laughs> and so I'm gonna, w- w- we, we just had a discussion, uh, this morning here, here in the, in the Chapman household. Uh, un- unbeknownst to my, my children, but we were going to ask my, the children to watch the debate tonight. Oh uh, yeah. That's interesting. I, well, it is. I don't know. I don't know if it's, if it's good or, or, or bad. But, and the way that I just said it there, it's like, we're going to ask them to watch the debate, take notes for us and let us know, give us their hot takes <laughs> in the morning. So I don't have to watch it. <laughs> if you could vote yeah right 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 (laughs) exactly well and and i'll get them to uh be they can be uh just amateur journalists
1: uh you know what they really should do is they should they should watch the debate and then uh they should go find a name of a dead person and then go try to vote oh instead instead of that person
0: i like that idea a lot that uh that happens i hear it's a lot there's a lot of fraud a lot of many many fraud many, many people frauding uh, so, so, how? Just out of curiosity. So, my, my kids
1: are grown and yeah. obviously very engaged in politics. Perhaps my my younger son more than my older, uh, although because he's he's in state government, so he's a little more clued into that. Although they, they both are pretty you know clear on what's going on. Um, how how clued in are your kids to politics? I mean, mostly. I think they want to break break bones and have accidents. Um, yep so, there's not a lot of time for thinking about politics when you're trying to destroy your your young body. But. Healthcare
0: is very important to them as an issue. Uh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So it's it's really it's really interesting, uh, you, know, ra- and, you know, raising kids, right? Like that, just just in general, because the some of the things kind of kind of hits you. In unexpected ways, and um, so so my kids are are I, I would say connoisseurs and 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 consumers, large consumers of YouTube. Um, I and probably ninety percent of what they view is on YouTube. Uh, from like terrible Twitch posts of uh, people playing video games, and and them like and those people playing video games. Are screaming over top of the video game, so there's a lot of screaming on YouTube. Um, so so they're you know maybe maybe yeah, I don't know, and this will make me sound like a terrible screen parent. Like maybe two hours a day, my kids are watching YouTube throughout, like peppered throughout the day. Um, and so YouTube has a just a drastic amount of uh, of digital ads for politicians. So so my kids know. <clears throat> all about it, it's actually been relatively low on the presidential debates or not debates, the presidential race, but there's a lot of like the governor race has is a lot of um, YouTube videos or YouTube ads. And, um, and then our Senate race has a lot. And so there's a Senator who is a, uh, a democratic or it, it's, it's, he's not a Senator yet. Hopefully he's going to be a Senator uh, running guy running for Senate uh, Cal Cunningham. And there's a, an attack ad from his opponent, uh incumbent Tom Tillis, that involved that includes a line of um using taxpayer money to fund his wet bar. And 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 so Sam, every time something comes up with, with Cal Cunningham, he he repeats to us, Well, you know that Cal Cunningham used taxpayer money to fund his wet bar. And <laughs> at some point you should say, Sam,
1: do you know what a wet bar is? Right.
0: Right. No, he doesn't know at all. It yeah, just exactly. like but it's a, it's an like so that that has um, crept into our life without us uh, purposely putting it there, right? Like so so then so so that's led to you know, pro- probably over the last four weeks those those ads have become much more prevalent. Um, there were, there were a lot of presidential ads in the primaries, like, uh, democratic, uh, primaries, but, um, then it kind of went away for a while. And then over the last four weeks, that's, that's when I've noticed this YouTube ad increase. And so, so we have talked about it. Like we, we have talked about the wet bar. Uh, we've talked about what taxpayer money means. Um, we, we've talked about, um, you know, w- 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 gun, uh, gun control. We've, you know, we've talked about all the, all the liberal cuck things that, that you can think of. Um, and we're, and, and so we, we, we talk about, and, and this is, you know, I, I think we, we've talked, you and I have talked about this on the podcast a while ago. I'm, I, I'm, Danny and I are in a weird situation cause we are Canadian citizens and we have not yet found dead people that we can grab their identity and, and vote on their behalf Um, so we, we sit these, (laughs) Which which is honestly how most Canadians get the right to vote. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. It's in the, it's, it's the 29th amendment. Uh, uh, it hasn't yet been ratified by all the States. Uh, but we, uh, we, so we, we sit these out, right? Like, like in a, in a, in a voting, uh, standpoint, but, but that, that being said, I think we're still, um, I think we're still active. In um in doing what we can to support the candidates that we are supportive of, and so we. And aren't,
1: aren't there? Aren't there though? Aren't there? And I don't want to out you for breaking the law, but aren't there restrictions on what you can do? I'm sure as there. A, as yeah, a citizen, right? Like I don't think you can contribute to camp. Right, 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 right. Can right. You, you could volunteer
0: for a campaign, right? I believe so. Yeah. Um, and and so you know, and and then we you know we talk in our in our circle of of friends about things. Um, so yeah, we we we're not we're, we're we don't have voting we don't have voting rights and and the process to to get that has been really stalled um, under uh, under the current administration so so clearly we're not going to be Canadian citizens within the next uh, forty days or so um, I think you are going to be Canadian citizens Oh Cana- next- I guess we will still be Yeah it's a good point the- <laughs> I'm pretty sure things are bad <laughs> <laughs> but
1: I don't really think things
0: have quite gotten that bad. I've ri- oh, lost all citizenship. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so clearly we won't be U.S. citizens within the next 40 days. Uh, uh, But, but yeah. So we, so we talk about, and, and Sam, so Sam, our, our youngest kid was born here. So he is the, he's got the birthright of, of voting out of all of us. Anchor. What? Uh, yeah. He's our, anchor baby. he's our anchor baby. Yeah. And, and he, uh, uh, we, we only need to invest another nine years uh, in his upbringing to, so then he can vote. Uh, So we've got some time to go uh, or 10 or eight years, I guess. Um, so, so yeah, that's our kind of, that's kind of our situation. Um, but we do like, so, so we do live here, right? Like in, in the U S and, and Paul, I, I may have mentioned, I think I mentioned in the past, uh, but if, if not, I, I have like a really keen, interest in, in politics. Like I have for, for my, for my entire life. I, we, I was a, um, a, a, a uh, a, an organizer of, of protests, uh, when I was in high school and, um, I, mean, what, I didn't know this about you. Yeah. Yeah. So we, I, we have, was, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. So, yeah. yeah so we, we, uh, uh we, uh, growing up, we had a, a, a very right wing, uh, government in Ontario and and being that I was in the the sphere of education being a student there were a lot of cuts related to education and uh, happening so so I you know worked with other um, uh, student government leaders at, at different high schools and we organized a, a big rally from uh, from our um, uh, our location going to Queen's Park which is like going to the Capitol building. Um, and, uh, and, and got some of our local, local representatives to come out and talk to us. And, um, and you know, that just, you know, did, did that kind of thing. And then also, um, I, I was, I I was, I've always been very interested in representation and which is phenomenally hilarious living in the U S with the electoral college. Um, but, but just sort of like how, how the system, uh, allows for representation. And so also in high school, um, we, we have, and I guess like here you've got school districts, right? Like people are elected to this, to the district. Is it like a board of education in, in New Jersey? Is that what, is that what it's called? Like, um, <clears throat> I think so. Yeah. I okay. Think so I, I, yeah. So, so the people that are elected, what are they, are they just like board representatives? Like they're from the community, right?
1: Yeah. They're just like normal people.
0: Yeah. So we have in Canada, we also have that and it's called trustees, which is a much nicer, like more, um, formal term right like the the public education is entrusted into these individuals to make decisions on behalf of the community so and uh, I somehow got in into my mind um as a result of these uh these education cuts that there wasn't like a student voice on our board of trustees our education board so, I spent like a, a year and in, um, in in high school, like my my twelfth grade year, because in, in Ontario when I was growing up, we went to school for thirteen grades. Um, so my twelfth my twelfth grade year, uh, I, I think you I think you mean grade twelve, Ben. Your grade twelve. Here. I, you're right. You're right. My grade twelve year. Yeah. Sorry, I had to. I, I, I'm I'm not doing a good job translating things today, uh, into American. <laughs> uh, so, so one one of the things uh, I I sort of got a um, worked with. I was taking a class, a high school class in politics and political science, and worked with my politics teacher to to create a project for our class. And we ended up like actually having a student trustee sit at the board of of education, and that that position continues today. So twenty you know twenty years ago, um, my you know I I wrote what the policy was and worked with. Um, I- individuals from the the board, the the um, board of education and had to get trustee support because, and I didn't actually realize this like until later about, you know, people do those, like, you know, I, there, there's lots of motivations for politics. Um, one of the motivations for politics is, um, especially like a trustee position is, well, you're an elected official, you've won an election, and this is a stepping stone to somewhere else. and And part of the importance of getting that stepping stone is you, you have the power and you don't want to give the power up. And so we, we like ended up changing the, you know, the, the policy of of the board to add an additional voice that was a non-voting member, but, but really could, could and has sort of changed the power balance of, of that elected um, position. So, so I, yeah. So anyway, that was like, I, I, I've been, you know, I've been really interested in, um, in in policy and in the the game of politics and and how do you how do you move something forward and, and that that kind of thing um for a long time you know, since high school and then in in when I was in college I I took um a bunch of political science classes uh and uh, as part of my um my undergraduate, you know, even, even cl- close enough to a minor, but not a, not an official minor, uh, cause it, cause at the end it didn't really matter whether I minored in politics or not. I was going to grad school to do food safety things. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I have like, so, so anyway, like I, I've been, I am one of those, um, those nerds that's been around this for since high school. Like I, I remember watching presidential debates when I was in, in high school and it's weird growing up in Canada where like you watch the. And and it, it, it it's hard to explain this, um. But you you watch the I watch the Canadian, uh, political debates and and you know actively voted in, in the Canadian system, and in the Canadian system is you you vote for your local representative, and all the local representatives that get elected, the majority make up the the ruling party, and the leader of that party, um, is becomes the prime minister. Um, you don't you don't vote for the prime minister. And 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 so, you know those. Yeah, those... So, I mean, and this this is what would be described as a parliamentary system, right. Of government. right? Right, right, right. Yes. Yes. sorry yeah. Um. And so um, so so you, so the debates don't have the same kind of drama or even policy. I don't know. Focus. I guess it's it's different. So so anyway, well, because who's debating? It's the it's your local. People debating, right? Well, yeah, because that's no, your. There's cast, no debate to who see who's going to
1: be the prime minister, right? Like that's just doesn't. That's just not the
0: way that system of government works. Well, there are debates, so that that's the funny oh, thing okay. is that there are debates, but it doesn't. They just they don't matter as much because you're you're not like <laughs> casting a vote for that person. It's oh, like, just like in this country. <laughs> right, right, right. But there's a much there's the flair for drama and theater in, in U.S. debates that uh, that is second to none. Um, and so, so anyway, that, you know, know, tonight and, and, and I don't like, as as I get older and again, welcome to political uh, safety talk. Um, but as I get older, I don't, I don't think that those debates matter as much or at all for me when I was, when I was in high school and I was a kid, that was my introduction. Like I wasn't going, there was no internet. I wasn't reading the newspaper to find out where, um, where parties, what their platforms were. Uh, in the same way, I, I was waiting to to hear all about that in the debate, um, and and so and and the art our, like our, you know our, our local cable access would would air the debate for Northumberland County where I lived, and so and it was like you know grainy, but I watched that thing, and and so anyway, this is. Uh, so I don't know, like, I guess the the conversation that Danny and I had this morning was like, well, this, you know, this first presidential debates on the kids are old, you know, it's four years after the last one, they're, they're older, they, they, they're, they know about the wet bar. Um, and so, so we should probably watch, like, we should at least get them to watch like 20 minutes of this and, and say, this is part of the system that you live in. It, you know, you should, you should have awareness of it. So, so and,
1: and did, have you pitched them on this idea yet? No.
0: And what was... Oh, yeah. Okay. And, no, not at all. They don't even know and okay. there's really not even a pitch that's gonna happen. I think we're just gonna do it. Um and and we we can limit so so I've with, with the uh with Eero, Eero. and all, yeah, with all the <laughs> stuff that I have, I just pause everything else except for the debate. Uh so they, they really don't have any other options. Yeah,
1: this this is what's you can you can go read a book or you can
0: yeah. <laughs> or you could look at this. And if you, you wanna watch. look at a screen, this is what's on the screen. Kid. This is the screen today. Yes. <laughs> Welcome to America. Yeah. <laughs> Yep, and uh, maybe next uh, next uh, election cycle in the House, you guys could outvote da- uh, my wife and I, Danny and I, your mother and I. Not, <laughs> I don't refer to her to them as your my wife. Uh, <clears throat> um. So yeah. So I don't know. So I. So and I. I the re- like I guess you know you, you already mentioned about about your kids, but do you do you have any? any history, do you have any recollection of sitting down and, and watching a debate or, or having a, a conversation about politics with, with your kids when they were, you know, twe- tweens or teens or or anything like that?
1: Not, not an explicit memory.
0: Like in terms of, in terms of
1: my own, my own uh, forays into politics. Um, I ran for, um, treasurer of my, Junior high school class, um, and and I lost to uh, Alan Janae, um, who who is now a friend on on Facebook. Um, Alan was way more popular than I was. Uh, there's no way I was gonna win, um, but I ran, um, and that was an interesting experience. Um, I remember, as I think I might have shared on this show before, I remember Watergate um, in the uh, three season room of my grandparents' house in Glastonbury, Connecticut. Uh, because that was, we were there that summer and the, and Watergate was on TV. Um, other than, other than, I mean, I remember very distinctly <clears throat> when I was a graduate student uh, at UGA, um, voting for, uh, re- voting for, not for Ronald Reagan, <laughs> uh, <laughs> who won anyway. I was very
0: upset about that. Um, and that was your first, that, that was your first, uh, uh presidential I, election. I,
1: I think that was the, f- I want, i I'd have to go back and check.
0: Well, we can what, figure this when? out. I think we can do the cal- the okay. calculation. When were you? What's your what you were born? I in? was born in 1961. So you, I think you but, might but, have. But, but my birthday would comes after election. Day, oh yeah, yeah. So... so Reagan would have been right because you couldn't have voted in the Carter election. Right. Because that would have been uh, 1979 of November. Look at me, I'm a presidential historian, Don. Look at you. I know All everything. Right, so he, Reagan Reagan
1: was my first. So that didn't start well, right? Because he 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 won. Reagan won, even though yeah. I voted against him um yeah and then voted every presidential election since then i think and and now and especially here just try to vote in everything um as much as possible and it's weird like freehold borough is this little blue circle in a in a red donut that is monmouth county and 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 probably freehold township so the county where i live is is predominantly republican but there are little blue pockets of working class people so um, yeah so all of like for example are our, our uh, uh, we have uh, freeholders uh, it, it, which is weird living in a town called freehold that has freeholders um, but but uh, every that, that's the system of government in New Jersey is you have the people that run the, the local government are called freeholders and so there are predominantly I think they're almost exclusively Democrat there might be one Republican and one of them is um, the guy who cuts my hair, my barber, is, is, a, is an official for a long time. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so that's that's been my my involvement in in, uh, in politics. Oh, well, I and mean, then of course, I don't know if you know this, Ben, but I did run successfully uh, for, for to be uh, elected to the board of uh, a scientific society, the International I- Association for. Food protection and i was very excited to win that and that was and again we've talked about before on this podcast like we both love the intersection between science and policy and i've been you know increasingly and through my career drawn to like how do you craft intelligent policy based on science and, and understanding the difference between risk assessment and risk management and so i'm really interested in in all of that and of course you got me listening to um pot save america which i don't listen to anymore but i do listen to you know uh love it or leave it and and and, you know so i i would say
0: i'm very active in listening to podcasts about politics (laughs) (laughs) it's yeah well and and it's one of these um i don't know it's one of these things that as as, like like you said that intersection between policy and and science i i've really grown to love i i actually had uh, like classes in in university about that. I really didn't enjoy, but seeing it play out, um, in, in the world of food safety is something that I'm, I'm really, I really enjoy. Like I, I like, um, I don't know. It's it's one like there's there's a there there's layers of the game right that that are associated with it. We we've talked a lot about the conference for food protection, which is kind of a game inside the game uh, of uh, of having support for certain issues um, moving moving forward. But but even seeing that like how are how our colleagues in the food industry, the regulatory world, less so in academics, but are 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 really. Um, dealing with day to day decision making, day um, uh, day to day decision making in, um, uh, like it, with, with with the current administration and changes around around COVID is really kind of you know kind of interesting and and I'll I don't want to out anybody but I, I've been talking with a couple of our of our friends about international trade. Um, issues as it really relates to um to to SARS-CoV-2 and um, you know, testing frozen foods and other foods and and all that kind of stuff. And it's really interesting to, to sort of have those brief conversations about, yeah, there's a lot going on in, in trade issues that are that's that ends up impacting decision making and food safety right down to how we do it in a plant. And and that like it's so intertwined. So Yeah. And it's it's interesting. It's interesting. So, you know, politically speaking,
1: anybody who listens to this podcast knows pretty well that we are both typical academic (laughs) left-leaning academics. Perhaps at least one of us has become radicalized by the democratic socialists and listening to uh, a Trap House podcast. But um, we work with people in the industry. And part of our job in extension in working with those people in the industry is to understand their point of view. And I would say, whatever their whatever their political beliefs are however they vote personally generally speaking people in the industry you know the industry is is kind of leans to the right because they want they don't want government interference they don't want rules and regulations just let i yes i'll make my food safe just leave me alone to do that right for the most part and so it's interesting to watch and i would say for the for the most part almost all all of our food safety colleagues, I would say politically themselves are left-leaning, although we are very capable, especially the industry folks, of basically articulating policies that would find favor in a, let's say, a Republican White House, right? Or let's say a traditional Republican White House, whatever that used to be, whatever's going on <laughs> there right yeah. now. I, I don't know what that is. But um, but but it, so, and again, it's been interesting to see like how, how things would well yeah how, how things play out in both normal times and also these strange times that we're in right now with with yeah th- trade is kind of messed up and then of course the pandemic on top of that and yeah it's been it's interesting to watch i mean it, it's you know it would be fascinating to watch if it didn't matter right
0: <laughs> it's, it's terrifying to watch when it matters but uh yeah 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 it's it is really i, I don't know it's an inter- I, and and i guess that that was part of the the conversation that Danny and i had this morning is it 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 is a, uh, you know, and I'm gonna I'm gonna sound like so obvious and trite, Don. When I it almost came out of my mouth without me prefacing it, but it is a historic time. So oh, it is for it, right? sure. And, and it, so, it is
1: it is a time unlike any other that we you and I have lived through and will likely be let's hope, um, uh, 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 historic for our children as well. Like hopefully right. they will never see a, another time as strange as this one.
0: It, yeah. And, and I, I feel like it's, it, we're not going to get too many chances to say this is like, like your Watergate recollection, right? So whether, whether there was, you know, that was, that, there was one TV and that's all that was on, but that, that memory sticks with you that that was happening and you were you were younger than well i guess what you were about the same same age as as sam is right like you would have been around 9 or or 10 um when that happened and
1: yeah, well uh, 72 summer of yeah, 72 11?
0: so i would have so what's that 11 is that correct yeah 11 exactly yeah. Yep. yeah um so so it, like i i feel like that i don't know so so we're gonna sit down. We're gonna make some popcorn. Might order some pizza. Make it a little you know a little more palatable to the to the children uh, who are are forced to watch this this debate. Uh, and we're gonna sit and, and watch it. And and I and I'm gonna go. What what I'm gonna try and do this time? Because um, I usually sit on in one chair. <laughs> this is how it works. In, I'm just going to describe a living room to you, Don. Uh, no, Dan- no, that's
1: fine. I, I understand. This is this is this. I've heard. I've often heard Merlin talk about his his spot on yeah. his podcast. So I think that we are well within the allowed uh, topical conversations for podcasts about talking about our living room and our, our our personal spaces.
0: Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I sit in a chair uh, on one side of the room, Danny sits in a chair on the other side of the room. Um, often, she has her uh, her laptop, and I have an iPad. And, and she, I'm not sure exactly what she's doing and I'm on Twitter. Um, and so I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this in a, in a way where I'm, I want the kids to see what I'm also like view what's happening on the screen. And here's all the hot takes that are happening and the, you know, what, what people are laughing at and what people are mad at, um, on, uh, on the internet. And so I'm going to try and like have them experience that. And that might be this, like, that might be a terrible experience for them. But uh, that's what's going to happen tonight. But we'll have, I think we're going to have pizza, so that should make it better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with, you always get pizza with politics. Yeah, with pizza. Politics, and, you get pizza. Pizza and politics. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so anyway, yeah, that's what's that, that's what's going on here. I, you know what, Don? I feel like this is a, a pathetic fa- fallacy that's happening here uh, in my in my house. So since I talked about the dreariness of the outlook of the day. Uh, as it relates to to politics and everything that's going on, Don. As we've talked about this and me exposing the next generation of voters to the political system, it's sunny now, Don. It's whoa. It, it this is it, there's there's sun coming in. There's it looks like a it looks like it's starting to be a beautiful day out there. So nice. Uh, yeah. Well done. Did you like my my pathetic fallacy? Uh, uh, that that's from eleventh uh, grade English. Uh, that that term. Are you are you familiar with? I'm that? not familiar with that term. Oh, it's. Uh, it, I, I believe it's from uh, Shakespeare, uh, it, or it was. Uh, well, now I'm totally going to ruin it. It's uh, an an attribution of human feelings and responses to inanimate things or animals, especially in art and literature, um, and nature. So, so I remember it being like someone, like in a in a play, someone talking about something really dark, and they would have the you know the sounds of a storm to to make it om- oh, okay. o- o- ominous. It's a kind of personification uh, that, that occurs in poetic descriptions. For example, so when he, clouds seem sullen, when leaves dance, or when rocks seem indifferent. So, huh. so, so, I, don't, <laughs> so I, I may not have described, it might not be the word that I'm thinking of then.
1: <laughs> so you'll, you might find this interesting. So I went to type uh, a pathetic fallacy into Google, uh, but somehow managed to trigger a uh, text expander snippet. So what my computer says is pathetic, phallus <laughs> and and despite
0: searching for that, the top hit is Wikipedia pathetic fallacy So good job, Google. Amazing, Google. Google is yeah they've got us they got us figured out. Um, so so you want uh, to? We we've got there's some food safety stuff going on. I have a question for you. Um, mm-hmm. Do you want to start there? Sure. Okay, so so we're uh, we we are allowed to talk about this now. I think we mentioned it on the last podcast, but we'll we'll mention it again. So so you and I are pro- part of a project called Food COVID Net, and uh, the project's all about food safety and uh, uh, COVID nineteen. And as uh, sort of one of the the first like official outputs of things that I'm doing around it, 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 it has been some questions that I've received. Uh, from a few, well, from, from two journalists and then also from my new services about Halloween food safety and COVID-19, right? we got to package it all together. So, so we got to make it and and let's step back and, and, and see why are we talking about it? Well, it's seasonal, right? We're getting into Halloween, although I did go to the hardware store on the weekend and there were Christmas decorations, not Halloween decorations. So, so I, I think we, we missed this. We probably should have been talking about this in June. Um, (laughs) but, um, so, so here's, here's kind of the, the situation. So, um, There's some frequently asked questions that have, that have popped up and I want to run the questions by you and get your thoughts on it. I'm going to tell you a little bit about how I, how I, uh, attack this. And, and so let me, let me set this up. Um, we uh, <laughs> let's start at the beginning, Dom. We're in the middle of a pandemic of of a respiratory uh, virus that is leading to um, thousands and thousands and of uh, in, uh, cases a day um, in in my state uh, and and many deaths. And, and then we also if it just uh, uh, because of temporal issues of, of the calendar, we're also coming up on on Halloween, which is a, a traditional and this is this is important because it's a very American situation or American and Canadian um, it is a for our listeners outside of uh, North America, it is a traditional uh, day where uh, kids will walk around a neighborhood, go door-, door to door and get food from their neighbors um, and and often, uh, in in my experience, they are doing so as a group of children who do not live in the same household. So so the question, and this is really the first question that that came to me, um, is it safe to send kids out trick or treating this Halloween? And that's a it's kind of a loaded question, right? Like and and this is I I want to remind you, Don, that this is um, a. Uh, <laughs> Uh, this is the podcast where we can, can say it's complicated and it depends and we can dither and equivocate. So how about waffling? Can we, we waffle? We can waffle. Uh, I wouldn't recommend, uh, handing out or receiving waffles for Halloween, but we can waffle on the question. So what do you, what do you think you think? Like, and like, of course the question is, is it safe? And that's not how I'm going to answer <clears throat> the question because really what I want to know and what I want you to talk about are what are the risks, but, but that's the question people want to know is, is it safe? Exactly.
1: And, and and my answer, you know, my flippant answer to that question is, no, it's not safe. But guess what? It wasn't safe last year either, because you know what day of the year kids get hit by cars more than any other? It's yeah. Halloween, right? So, so let's start with the, the supposition or the premise that Halloween is not safe to begin with, right? So, but now let's talk about, okay, so now... How can we reduce the risk, and what might be some uh, assessment of the risk of trick or treating during a pandemic? Right, a global pandemic of a respiratory disease. And so, first, what I would say is, this this would be a great year um, for kids to go um, uh, dressed in costumes as doctors, <laughs> oh. and and they could wear uh, they could wear surgi- surgical masks, right? And so, so I think honestly, um, kids, yes, if you if you want to trick or treat safely. Um, kids should be wearing a mask, right? Like a, like not, not yeah, a yeah. Halloween mask. Okay. But some sort of a face covering. Um, especially if they are mixing with kids from other households. Now, we know that mask compliance is difficult, even with grown-ass adults that should know better, right? And so it's going to be challenging with kids. Um, I think that if you are giving out candy to kids, you should be wearing a face mask. Um, I don't think there's really much risk of getting the COVID, as they say, uh, from from the candy, right? And so I wouldn't worry so much about cross-contamination and getting the virus on on candy wrappers, that's you know that's that's really a, a low risk event. But I would say certainly people handing out can- candy should be masked to the best extent possible. Kids um, should be uh, masked. It would be better if kids did not trick or treat with um, kids that were not part of their bubble, right? And so better better for kids and parents to go together. If again, if assuming they're all part of the same um, you know pandemic bubble. Um, and so that's sort of how I would, how I would lay it, lay out the, lay out the risk. Right. And I, again, I would encourage, uh, stay six feet away. One good thing about Halloween is that most of the activity is outside and that does seem to reduce the risk. Okay. Um, maybe there's less risk, certainly there's less risk of getting hit by a car if you go in the daylight. And so, and then maybe, maybe there's some effective UV light on the virus in the daylight. Again, I think that we're, we're pretty, we really don't know what much about what's going on there. So those are, those are kind of my, so, so go, go, you know, with only people in your bubble, go during the day, um, and then don't obsess too much about the risk of getting the virus from candy or candy wrapping if you are concerned You know just hold the candy for a couple of days um, And and you know the what little virus was there will will become inactivated But again, I wouldn't I wouldn't worry too much about that So that's kind of my initial initial take on on the kind of advice I would give if I was asked
0: Yeah, no, and and I think that you you kind of Nailed a lot of the stuff that that I've been I've been thinking about and and it's CDC has um cd yeah i just sent you the link and cdc's kind of put out some like language and things that i like that they do and we we have talked about this quite a bit um over the last uh you know six months or so is is you know for all of the like all the shots that, that CDC has, has taken from from sort of both sides of this of this issue, and it is a both sides situation, right? Like public health folks are like CDC is being muzzled and the things that they're putting out is what are watered down. Um the other side is CDC it makes makes up science and and it's not bad. Um what you know, the pandemic's not bad. So what one of the things that they have been doing, which I really like, is they're placing this in the the um, continuum of risk. Here are some lower risk activities. Here are some moderate risk activities, and here are some higher risk activities. And, and so what we, what you just talked to talked about, and what, where I'm really going to focus on is exactly this mod, what they've listed as moderate risk activities. So, so uh, what's, and, and I, you know, I, I keep like a- echoing this and I'm, I've got another issue. I want to run by you in a second about, um, uh, extension programming, but the, 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 the lowest risk of, of having Halloween is not having Halloween and trick or treating, right? Like, okay. So, so if we don't, if we don't do it, it's, it, it's like the abstinence question, right? Like the, you're, you're very, and it's, it, it doesn't, it's not a, it's not a, a very, um, useful argument because of behavior but it but yeah if, if you're not gonna have sex you're unlikely to get a, a sexually transmitted disease the problem is people are gonna have sex so kind of like <laughs> <laughs> kind of like uh halloween right so the lowest risk thing is don't have <laughs> halloween have sex on halloween don't. <laughs> me a little bit. <laughs> i'm sorry I'm, like, I'm gonna need a whiteboard for this don uh, <laughs> uh
1: so come Maybe some red string.
0: Yeah. Well, the lowest risk activity is Halloween abstinence, but it's oh, not. Oh yes. Oh god. Yeah, yeah. Sorry,
1: I got. It. i, I yeah, Sorry, I, yeah. I lost the thread there for a minute. But yeah. yeah.
0: You, you caught me up. But it's not going to happen, right? Like, like, right. and 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 I don't think it's. I don't think it. It is even re- necessary to have it to have it not happen. I think it's. I think it's the wrong argument to make because. Uh, this the 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 you know the pandemic is is increasingly difficult it is difficult for kids the 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 uh, illnesses that are happening is are, are are certainly a problem but but people are looking for anything any shred of normalcy to to grasp onto so what can we do to to provide some of that and talk about here are the risks associated with doing it and here's how to mo- moderate those risks or here's how to minimize those risks right um and and so so I think CDC's kind of done a a good job you know they've said higher risk activities first bullet on their list participating in traditional trick or treating where tr- treats are handed to children who go door to door I actually disagree with that a little bit I think that is a moderate risk because what we're missing and I guess this is maybe what CDC and, and I hate to like fully second guess them what we're missing is but who's wearing a mask and and how long are people congregating and all that kind of stuff. Right. Like you can kind of move that into moderate risk with with levels of of focus. And and they talk about it, CDC talks about it as participating in one-way trick-or-treating where individually wrapped goodie bags are lined up for families to grab and go while continuing to social distance, such at the end of the driveway or the edge of a yard. And that's that's a good alternative here. But, but to your point, if, if, if I go to a door and I, I, the, the person at the, at the door is wearing a mask and my kid is wearing a mask, um, and they are, they are practicing a level of social distancing there with a self-service, you know, hand in a bowl of, of candy, the, the, the transmission risk becomes all the other hands that that go in there. And, and based on the, the data and, and the science that we have around fomites, we think that that's pretty low likelihood of transmission already. So, um, so anyway, I think like, I think CDC gives a, a good, um, a, a good list of the, this continuum. Um, but, well, and so just a, yeah. So to your point, right. I think, I think this is a good document from CDC,
1: but what, what they, have maybe, I don't want to say been forced to do, but what they have chosen to do is to put things into three buckets, right? Low, moderate, and high risk. And really, to your point, Ben, it really is more of a continuum, right? And so at the risk of, you know, dithering and equivocating and shades of graying everything, right? There's probably um, low slash moderate, and there's probably moderate slash high. And we could, so we could make even more buckets and we could finally, more finally parse these things. And and so traditional trick-or-treating where treats are handed to children who go door-to-door, maybe that's not higher risk, maybe that's um, moderate to high, right? Right, right, right? yeah. you know, but again, at some point, that becomes a little bit more of an academic exercise that appeals to people like you and me, and less useful to the general public, right? So, I mean, I think as a as a first cut, as a starting point for this discussion, what CDC has done here is 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 is, is nice. I, we I we would I would quibble with some of the details, yes. right? Like visiting pumpkin patches or orchards where people use hand sanitizer before touching pumpkins or picking apples. Wearing masks is encouraged or enforced, and people are able to maintain social distancing. Seems okay. pretty low. Seems pretty not, low risk, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not sure the hand sanitizer is necessary, right? I would say sanitize your hands when you're finished with that. Maybe but well, yeah, maybe, maybe when you come in and maybe when you go, um, I, again, I think CDC is still sending some mixed messages on fomites here, but again, I, you know, it's whatever we don't know, right? I mean, we, we suspect that fomites are, are very low risk, but yeah. So, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know,
0: I would get Ben, I would give CDC a B plus on this webpage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and so and I'm gonna give them. I'm gonna give them an A minus. Just <laughs> this is a different. We're you know what? Let's start a new podcast of grading CDC <laughs> uh, documents. Uh, and and so so I. The reason why I'm gonna give them an A minus, Don, um, is that they. This is this is still relatively new for them. Could you? They don't ever put stuff like this out for food safety, right? Like we don't. They don't talk about lower risk, moderate risk, and and higher risk. And I like this this new thought of communication that, that they have, you know, that, that they're running, they, they continue to follow throughout this entire pandemic. And so th- like last year's Halloween safety didn't talk about this, didn't, 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 it wasn't in these like categories. And so I'm going to give, I, I agree with you. I think there's room to grow. That's why I'm going to give them an A minus, but I like that they're trying this. And, and even, you know, like we can certainly quibble with lower risk activities Um, so I would say that carving or decorating pumpkins with members of my household and displaying them is not even a lower risk activity. Like that is that, like, like. I don't it's the lowest possible
1: risk. Yeah, it's not different than what you're already doing. Exactly. Right? Yeah,
0: like yeah. like carving and decorating pumpkins with the members of my household is essentially eating dinner with the members of my household, <laughs> yeah. and, and we're carving our food, and you know, like like it's not. Yeah. So so it's not even like I think the lower risk activities are the stat. The, that's the abstinence. You know, the messages right these are you're not increasing your risk beyond yeah this it's got halloween's got nothing to do with it um and and, and so so anyway i like i like this and i think it's a good i think it's a good starting point what was has been really i don't know if you've followed so if you've seen any of this or followed any of the 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 fallout um, or the media coverage but what cuz people don't read I, I don't know if you're aware of this but on the internet people don't read the article uh, very often or the link so huh so, so what I've seen, and I'll, I'll see if I can find an, an example of this, but let me, let me pre-see this for you. I'm using all of my um, English class terms. That's a, I'm just gonna do a, a quick summary. Um, uh, someone writes, CDC puts out guidance for COVID-19 and Halloween. And then all the hot takes that come after that are, let the kids trick or treat. Why are you ruining life? Why are you, you know, this is a hoax, right? Like all of those things and and really they you know people aren't reading the article they're not looking at what the what it says and they're and, and CDC is actually doing a pretty good job that says here are things that are that you, that are highest risk and here are things that are in the middle and you should think about these and make your own risk decisions um but but I'll, I I already have been the 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 um receiver on oh, and, and I'll let me look at my um my menchies menchies? right now yeah <laughs> Um, so I, so there. like, uh, the start of this uh, the question and answer thing that, that I did with my new services went out, um, last night and, uh, NC state extension said with a, with Halloween a month away, could, should kids go trick or treating this year? Cause we got to have some clickbait, right? Extension specialist, Benjamin Chapman chairs his do's and don'ts. Um, and so I'll link to this. Uh, and this is, this is going to like, you know, this list is going to evolve, um, uh, a little bit, but the, the response to it, uh, the, and it's only been one, but it's uh, someone who's got a American flag in their, uh, in, in their name, uh, ma- Oh, hashtag MAGA. Uh, uh, <laughs> by all means, comma, please live, go trick or treat exclamation mark, have fun exclamation mark. Why live if you can't live question mark, just, you know, read the article, man. Like oh,
1: God, you know. well, you
0: know, so, so
1: do me a favor if you would, and I'm going to regret saying this, but uh, uh, just, just, uh, just, uh, tag me, tag uh, me in your re- retweet yourself and tag me or, or, you know, mention me. Um, cause I, I might want to go, I might want to go thump on some MAGA yeah. dumb heads.
0: Okay. Okay. I will. I will do that. I'll, I'll craft something excellent. excellently. And
1: while, while you were talking, I was like, so, so when you propose this new podcast, right. Yes. <laughs> where we rate CDC webpages. Um, my first thought is, Ben, what are we going to call it? And then it came to me, Ben, the perfect name for this podcast.
0: It's ABCDC Plus. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, show, show title done. Um, yeah. This, maybe this is a bit that we do. Is this, do we nest this inside of um, this podcast? It's going to be a segment. A segment, yeah, like, yeah. Like the segments we used to do on Canadian food. We used to do a Canadian food segment. We used to do History of Food Safety. Uh, the the podcast has evolved. But let's put this out right now. I'm going to commit to this. ABCDC Plus is is a, a an in-show segment of food safety talk. It, it is – should we do it only in the after show? Is this for subscribers only? Is this we- – <laughs> Yes, we should do
1: it. <laughs> do it in the after show. We'll do yeah.
0: this in the after show. Uh when we remember. But if you have if you have C D C uh a- any C D C web pages, any documents that you want us to grade, we will give it a grade of uh A B C D E F uh. Or, or, there is no
1: E. There is no E. Okay. We should get we should get clear on what the what the so you wanted to give us something an A minus. So at Rutgers, yeah. we do not allow A minuses. I think it's A, A plus. I, well, I will, we'll, I'll look up the grading scheme for, we need, we need to settle in on the grading scheme. I don't think anybody gives E in this country
0: gives E grades, although I have them in other countries. I think we can get it. Yeah. I think we had E grades in Canada. Hmm. I well, think, well, cause Canada. so we had, uh, so in, uh, 70, 60, 50, 50, wait, 70, yeah, yeah. So, so we got a, um, and, and cause the, the grades didn't matter, but an A was above 80. Okay. An A mm-hmm. plus was above ninety. Seventies were B's, sixties were C's, fifties were D's. Yeah, I guess there were no E's, and then a, and then an F was below fifty. There you go, no E.
1: Yeah. So we we yeah. It looks like we have A, B plus, B, C plus, um, but we don't have any minus grades. We just have plus grades. I think, oh, and then and C plus C, and then just D and
0: F. This so. is great. Yeah, this is great. Uh, um, great, grade safety talk. Uh, yeah. So anyway, we, we will do this. We've already done our first one. Uh, listen to after shows, uh, for the rest. Uh, if we remember next week when we, when we, when we do this also, maybe if, what would all be awesome is if listeners sent us links to CDC websites that they want us to pages or pages. communications yep. that they want us to grade and we'll, uh, we'll give it a grade. Oh this is great. This is for it's, it's we I've thought about uh, doing a Patreon subscription and that we would like we you know we have talked about this doing some level of uh of sponsorship for the show that we would then donate to the IAFP Foundation to like support some sort of a scholarship or or an award or something. Um and we I, I you know I, I think we just never followed through with it cuz that's a thing that I do a lot is talk about stuff and not do it. Well, and it's complicated, right? Because we'd have to take the money and people
1: might want to receipt for taxes and oh, we're yeah. not a 401 C three. So it's, it's, co- it's complicated then. It
0: yeah, it it's is complicated. complicated. Um, but anyway, maybe the, that's what people get with their, their Patreon subscription is, uh, <laughs> the grading of it. Uh, anyway, um, so anyway, that, so that was one that like, thank you for, for indulging me in that, in that conversation. Um, we're, I'm also using, so in the food CoV net, we have like an advisory and review committee of all of our favorite friends or many of our favorite friends who, who look at, uh, extension documents and are engaged in, in lots of things that we do. Um, and so, so I got a couple people to review this and they're giving really good feedback. So it's kind of, kind of nice. cool. Yeah. The, the first one I responded to, but I wanted to make sure that, that I wasn't just making it all up or, you know, you know what I mean? Like it's always good to have extra eyes on it. And so, um, so three of our advisory group, uh, um, have re re edited, thought about, you know, added some stuff I'm thinking about. Uh, and then we'll turn this into a, a series of social media posts and fact sheets and things that we can share, um, through an extension for, um, uh, for consumers as we go forward. And we like vetted it with experts, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, Very so cool. yeah, um, so, so anyway, uh, so the second thing, and I guess this, it's more of a, I, I just wanted to share one of the, one of the challenges that's coming up. Um, and, and uh, as we, and, and I think it's not going to go away. And I know that, uh, some of our listeners are in public health education and, uh, or extension education. Um, and, and so, one, one thing that, that I'm, uh, that, that is coming up over and over again for me is, uh, trying to work with extension educators on how they do hybrid face-to-face and virtual training and programming as we go forward. And, and, and I say that like over the next 18 months, right? Like right now, many of our programs are not face-to-face, uh, sorry, are, are strictly virtual. Um, right, th- there are a few places in our in our state where local governments have have put some pressure on having some sort of face to face meetings and, and training, and and so so cooperative extension has put together some policies on how to do it. Um, but but what's really like so, and I'll give you like a very specific example, which is one that's that that's it, it's a it's a cool program and what we're trying to do is figure out how to do it in the safest possible way. And, and it's, and it kind of is about that, uh, that continuum of risk. And so it's a, it's a program on processing game meat. And so Penn Mm. Penn state has a really great uh, curricula. Our friends at Penn state, Kathy cutter and and others develop uh, some, some great material. Um, uh, We, we have a couple agents who are are really interested in using that. Um, There is a food, Disparity and in food insecurity issue, and that they're really meeting a need of. Uh, so, so it's it's a it's one of these risk risk trade off decisions um, as well. And so, part of the program includes using some common equipment like grinders and uh, you know large pieces of of meat processing equipment that that individuals they're coming to this class because they don't have access to it, um, and so. So we're we're kind of like trying to figure out a way to do this in the in the safest possible way. And and so similarly in on all the conversations I have on any of these programs, I, I really start this conversation with, you, you know, having this programming in any sort of face-to-face is riskier than not having it face-to-face, right? Like it's the abstinence right. question. So so just as long as everybody is aware of this, I'm we're, as we sort of work through this, I'm not going to be able to give you anything magical that's going to be like, this is going to be like, I'm, we're going to guarantee that there aren't illnesses. If you follow all this right, no one's going to get sick. That's not possible here. Well, all we're talking about is putting in risk reduction measures, but there's still an, you know, If, if you did this all virtually, you wouldn't have that as it relates to this programming. And, and, you know, I I don't really want to go through the particulars so much on it, but I want to like share that, that, I don't know, that statement is almost always met with, uh, disbelief or a frown or like. I don't know. I don't know what the, I'm not sure what I feel from the other, from the, from the person who I transmit that message to, but, but they're not seeing it in the same way that I am. Right. Like, like, I think they're like, well, people are going to the grocery store. It's like, yeah, but, but we're not, I mean, we're not, we're not, uh, there are other ways to get groceries, right? Like, yes, people are going to a grocery store that is riskier than not going to the grocery store and getting groceries delivered. Is it, Is what is the risk? Is it measurable? Is it negligible? I don't know, but it's certainly, it's, it's certainly more risky. Um, and, and, and so, so I don't know, I don't know how to handle this other than what, what I kind of do is say, here, here are the things, tell me about what you're doing. How much of this instruction can we move virtual? Do you have to do this in person? what are the things that you must do in person how many of those things can we do outside can we do those with social distancing i'm i'm already assuming that that they're screening people who out who have been exposed to covid-19 that everyone's wearing masks like there there are sort of standard policies there that, that are in place but someone operating a grinder right next to someone for you know 40 minutes or or trying to teach multiple people that they're standing next to them uh, over the course of this time and everyone's sort of crowding in and looking at it, that's riskier than not, not having it. And the biggest risk to me is to the, to our instructors. And so I, I try to communicate that, but I don't know. I, and I guess I just wanted to sort of throw that out there and get your, get your thoughts and reactions to it. There's no like question, right? Like, I'm sorry, I don't have any, I, I just, what do you, like, how do, what do we, how do, what do you think? Well, you know, the, the thing that occurred to me is like what what we're doing. Let me talk a little bit
1: about what we're doing at Rutgers. OK, so virtually all instruction is virtual, right? So um, all graduate classes are online, uh, undergrad classes are online. Um, we have been allowed to reopen our research laboratories, but the research laboratories need a system for ensuring safety, right? And so our lab is pretty big and we've got four lab benches. And so we made the decision, well, okay, that means we can have four people in the lab at any one time. And so we created a Google calendar where people sign up and they put when they're coming in and when they're going out. Um, and that does, that does two things. Number one, it lets me see that we only have four people in the lab at any one time, according to the calendar. And then also it would let us do contact tracing, you know, to say, okay, well, this person is now positive for COVID who was in the lab with this person over the you know whatever the appropriate time period is so it's, so it's documentation of that and then of course if you're in the lab with somebody else um, you are working in your own area but you're also wearing a mask and you're also maintaining six feet of distance from that person right um, now the one exception um, is uh, well the one of the exceptions which I'm aware of because it's it's the lab right next to mine the lab right next to my research lab is a microbiology teaching lab and so um, uh, that cannot, you cannot do a microbiology teaching lab uh, online, or you it, it's not really the same, right? Because you have to be practicing aseptic technique, you have to be looking at cultures, right? It's just not, you, the, the online experience of that would be significantly less, and it wouldn't really give the person the same value as having the face-to-face class. And so... That class is in the building in in the building where where I work. When I when I'm when I'm in my office, it's right next to my research lab. We know the times, and so we're aware of that. And then that lab class has certain procedures for how they are allowing students in. And again, it's it's a microbiology lab, so you're hopefully you're already practicing aseptic technique. But now we have got the additional uh, constraints of um, and maybe it's it's dedensified. I don't know, but certainly they're wearing masks and you know they're going in one door and out the other, and you know probably doing hand washing and hand sanitizers and all of that. And so, you know, I, I, you just have to decide, like, and I think one of the points that you made early in your, in your introduction of the topic is you have to ask your question, You have to ask the question, like, what's, why do you want to do this face to face? Right. And, and then, and if you have good reasons, then well, okay, you, you, yeah, like, it's like, for example, we cannot do, we cannot do our research we, there's a lot of the research that we do in my lab that's modeling and statistics and yeah we can sure we can do all that online Unfortunately, when when the lab was shut down we were able to kind of focus on the writing aspects and the and the data analysis aspects of our work but you know eventually you run out of things to write uh, and 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 data to analyze and so you've got to go back in the lab and so so we did that and but we're doing it safely and again so, you know same thing with uh, with the classes so yeah so that's that's kind of my the the situation that I'm most familiar with and and how is most analogous that I would use to kind of not answer your question because you didn't answer you didn't ask a question but to say look this is how I look at these risk management for things that w- historically were face to face and now maybe are not or maybe could
0: be. Does that right. make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I, like I I think absolutely and and you know no like the, part of what I want to do is as someone who who focuses on risk communication in a lot of the work that I do with food safety is make sure that all the parties who are involved know that there's, that they're, what the risk is, what they're getting involved in. Right. And, and help have them make this risk risk trade off, um, with, with data and information. And, and, and then also in that, like to, to all, to your point about what are the things that has to be, that have to be done in person, helping people, Make that decision, right? Like it's a lot more convenient to do a bunch of these things in person, but do they? Is it necessary? Like, like do we right. have? A, yeah, yeah. There's a difference between convenient
1: and and necessary, right? It's it's convenient to have a meeting with your staff. It's face to face, but is it necessary? No. Um, it's probably necessary that a, a, a lab class that teaches you how to manipulate microorganisms it's probably necessary that that be in person because you, you, there's just virtual reality is not good enough yet.
0: Right? Right, right. Yeah. And, and it's and it, like, exactly. So, so, okay, let's, let's move this to the necessary list. What, how do we do it? How do we manage it? Does everybody know the risks involved? How will we enforce it? Uh, a lot of the, the conversations that I've had about extension programming and it's been like 15 or 20 conversations over the last three or four weeks, um, with, with with extension agents and county extension directors and, and district directors around this is okay, so we have a policy. how are we going to enforce it right like like so so what what is our plan and, and I only say this from following what's happening on social media so it, with, which you know at, at every day we can find a a a, um, a video of someone getting really irate when they're asked to put on a mask and and so are we ready for that? in like have we trained our individuals who who are running these programs how to de-escalate Ooh. that conflict. Wow. And, I hadn't even thought of that. But you're well well and then and then also
1: setting it up in advance and say, look, right, you, if you want to come to this training, here's a thing that you're gonna sign. And guess what? It's gonna say in the thing that you sign that you agree to wear a mask, right? Right, right. Or something like that. Right. Set set it up so that people know what they're not just they're not just gonna get to be able to do what they want.
0: It, so right, right and and what how what and, you know, I, and I guess this is this is how you, how you and I view the world as food safety people who are constantly we we exist in a world of outbreak, right? the The, the bad thing happened. the the multiple things that we put in place, um, some a bunch of things failed, one thing massive failed, whatever it was. So we're I think we're constantly, able to navigate that worst case scenario because we we are constantly doing it. And and I, I'm increasingly aware of people who don't live in that context who say, well, we have a policy. You know, obviously everyone's going to wear masks. And and when and I, I look at it like 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 hand washing, right? Like to me, that's analogous to obviously all food handlers are gonna wash their hands. Okay, great. What, what happens when they don't, how will we handle that? And, and just asking that question, I think is not, it's not something that everyone's prepared to do. And, 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 and I I think like maybe we'll never have to deal with it, but you, you certainly need to have a plan on how do we enforce these policies? How will we initially remind people? Um, how will, what will we give them? What, how will we protect the other participants? If someone is really just not able to practice social distancing and they're not wearing a mask over and over again, when do I end the program? What's my threshold? Um, and, and so just in, in it, like all of that stuff, like, I I don't know, I, I am much more, and this will sound ter- like sound crazy for the people that know me. Cause I don't plan or prepare very much, but when it comes to this kind of stuff, I want to be prepared to figure out how I'm going to manage that because I don't want to be like, I, I don't want to be the source of a, of a cluster, um, uh, in, in any, in any sort of shape or form. And so I want to make sure that I'm in, in like, arming these agents and folks who are doing programming with enough information to think about all the bad things that can happen with, with the, the very, like likelihood that not all these bad things are going to happen. But if, but if one of them does, at least you got a plan on how to manage it. Well, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of like HACCP, right? I'm, I'm thinking yes. it's
1: very analogous to the hazard analysis and critical control point system that we use for food safety, right? You have a plan for what you're going to do. And then you also have a plan for when things go wrong and then you, and then what you do when things go wrong. And then, you know, so, so I think having that, having that plan is, is, yeah, it's, it's important.
0: Yeah. 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 It's, it's a really, like, I hadn't thought of it that way, like in, in that most systematic way way, but, but that's essentially it, right? It's, it's applying how we manage food safety to these, these events and, and, and thinking about like, I mean, it is, it's, it's It's like, what are the, what are the parameters we're going to operate this program in? What are our thresholds? What are, what are our like critical limits, uh, to, to, to managing this, this event? And, and, and it's not, and I, you know, going back to the, to the CDC document that, that I rated an A minus and you rated a B plus in our new, um in our new segment uh ABC's uh <laughs> CDC plus um it, it, it's lo- like that's a new way of looking at these things uh of these events like we we we're not just operating the way that we used to so what what is it how do we move things from higher risk to lower risk and what are the parameters that um that that are going to make it move on that on that scale so yeah so so anyway that's that that's like a, a it's becoming a large portion of my extent internal extension work is how do we and and the 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 easiest answer and this is again on on my side of things the easiest answer is do everything virtually right let's not even right. manage this and and I realize that that's not a realistic answer right now like there um in, in in you know think about how how politicized this this pandemic is so some of our counties that are run by very right wing governments are like, this isn't a big deal. All of our government functions must go on as they did before. And, and so our, our organization is put into a really bad spot. How do we manage that and manage the safety of our participants and our public health? It's, it's, well, and not only the participants, how do you manage the safety of your
1: state employees? Right? Yeah. Yeah. The, The people who are doing the instruction. I mean, it's one thing if people, if participants, you know, want to do, if people want to do bad things, right, or or things that we think that are unsafe, um, but how do you protect your people, right? Like that's, yeah. I mean, to me, that's that's the that's a, a critical aspect of it, right there. And it's and again, to a certain extent, well, how does it? I guess it depends on how it works politically. Like so, for example, at Rutgers, the our our county. And for the most part, their faculty, our county faculty, are I think their salaries are paid by the county, but they're Rutgers employees. So,
0: yep, I our, don't ours know. we're and, similar. Yeah. We're, we're like a portion; it's like half and half. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah. So it's and and in the thing. So you, we, you and I had another call yesterday where I was talking, I asked you guys about models because one thing that I've found to be very. Um, compelling as I'm having these conversations is is saying we're really planning for this not just for your program that runs on like October 26th. How will we manage this over the course of the next year or 18 months? And and then people look at me like what why like why this is this will all go away? And then I then I send them some models and say well and and uh, you know I I'll I'll use I'll echo your um, great use of of the best quote from. Um, from, from the, the box plot guy from, from Mm -hmm. Dr. Box, uh, which is all models are wrong. Some are useful. And so I preface my conversation with that and say, but here are some models that are showing what, what we might expect the next year to look like. And, and so we need to plan for this, like, like, and, and hopefully all these models are wrong and it all goes away and everything can go back to normal. And that would be great. And it's easy. But what if it's not? And so, what? What's our plans? How will we manage all of these things over the next year? So, yep. so, but it's been it had like it has been, and I I thank you for this. Um, I, I have become more comfortable with navigating the world of models because of our discussions and because of collaborating with you and become because of collaborating with Michelle Luck, um, That that it, it's become a very powerful communication tool to visually show it, whether it's like whether it's microbial growth or transmission models or um or illness models as it relates to COVID-19 you know saying yeah this isn't going away but being able to show and and manipulate what what this what what all the inputs are and what it, what it means i that has been you know um, mul- multiple people yesterday after a meeting that i had uh, reached out and said, I really appreciate you sharing and walking us through what you're looking at um, just from a from a right. communication standpoint. So that's right, that right. that's that's really great. That's cool. Uh, yeah. So. <sighs> All right. You want to talk about other food safety things? <laughs> yes. Hey. Oh, and I'll, we we will
1: we will link to the um, "All Models Are Wrong" Wikipedia page, which has some great, um, you know, in-depth deep dive. Um, it, it's not um, the concept predates George Box, but he's he's the most um, most, most familiar with the quote, and he, he's he's actually sort of got refined it a couple of different times. Um, uh, well, here's one version, Rem- remember that all models are wrong. The practical question is how wrong do they have to be to not be useful? <laughs> <laughs> right. All models are approximation. There's another one. All models are approximation. Essentially, all models are wrong, but some are useful. However, the approximate nature of the model must always be borne in mind. So anyway, so it's 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 a relatively short Wikipedia. That's not that short. Anyway, it, it's a it's a, it's a but Wikipedia page. That if you if this if this floats your boat, you should take a look. Okay, I will I will do that. So let yeah let us so let's we we've got a few a few things in um, follow up. Um, I think we, we have, I have promised some people, some, um, mold follow-up.
0: Yes. And that's where I want to go too. So, and I have cool. some mold. I've got mold follow-up for you. So this is perfect. have got mold. I've got mold. You've that's, that was that, was, that was my AOL message. message. Exactly. <laughs> oh, so many good show titles today. Um, yeah. Okay. So go, yeah, let's do this. Go, go ahead.
1: Oh, <laughs> I thought you were going to well,
0: run with it. No, you're going to run with it because I've got another, okay. yeah,
1: yeah. Got it. Okay, so, um, so uh, a friend of the show, and I think she might listen sometimes, is um, Linda Harris, who is very good at the uh, very economical email. Um, so this is a message dated um, almost more than one month ago on Tuesday, August 25th, um, and the subject header is Moldy Jam. And then the message is a couple of articles to add to your reference list. I cannot access either, but I have read the abstracts. And, she, and we will link to a couple of different articles. Um, the, uh, oh God.
0: Yeah, it doesn't so I I I will draw I will drop them in because I did this earlier. It won't link from the from our Yeah, and this
1: this has to do with the uh, very, very helpful Office 365 advanced threat protection that my university inflicts on us because people are idiots and sometimes they link that they shouldn't click. And for some reason, that what it does is it takes it takes URLs. Um, well and I probably what I could do is I could cut and paste the actual URL but it turns it turns clickable links into links that have to go through an additional level of scrutiny um, and, and and what happens I think is that 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 link ages out and so it do, it's not preserved forever um, and so what that means is that if you save something and you come back to it after the link ages out it doesn't it doesn't uh, click through so so the first article we will link to is an article entitled Mycotoxin Migration in Moldy Foods. And uh, this is by Monica Coton and Philippe uh, D'Artagnier. And Philippe is a good friend and colleague. He's a wonderful French scientist who has been very active in the predictive modeling community. He comes to all the predictive modeling meetings. And Philippe's thing is mold. And he's done some great um, uh, microbial modeling with mold um, and basically uh, what he did in this article is he this is a uh, it's, it's a current it's published in the journal current opinion in food science and what they did was in this article is they went in into a lot of detail of the the different basically literature review and then and then data and i'll, I'll uh let's see um if i can find the actual yeah i, I downloaded the actual article i'm not on the Um, VPN right now, so I can't click through. But basically, if you look at, uh, yeah, if you look at Table 1, and this is um, uh, basically uh, entitled Different Food Categories for Which Recommendations Were Given by the USDA in 2013 Adapted from Molds on Foods, Are They Dangerous? And it gives a link to the FSIS Uh, webpage and it basically uh, talks about the food category uh, the recommendation and then the reason why that recommendation is given and so for example um, here it has um, let's find uh, uh, jams okay so food category jams recommendation is discard and then the reason is molds might produce mycotoxins, it is not recommended to eat jams after removing molds. And and what, what he's also done is he's also sort of injected some science into this and looked at essentially what might be, from the literature, um, what might be the, um, the conditions for mold production. They didn't always look at um, slicing off of, of molds, but, but they do have uh, figure two in the document is a recommended sampling design based on hypothetical mold migration patterns in a food matrix. Um, so that's useful for people. So it's not, it's not, it's not really a literature review. It's more like a kind of his opinion on, on this, but it's really, it's, it's really quite, quite good and well thought out. And if, if I was going to proceed with doing some science around this, I would for sure, um, um, start with this paper and so uh, as, as sort of a, a, a starting point and, and there and there have there are a number of people who published on um, mycotoxin production in various uh, jam products so so that is definitely worth uh, getting a hold of if you're interested in this topic and then uh, the, the second article is uh, entitled distribution of mycotoxins produced by penicillium species inoculated in apple jam and creme fraiche During chilled storage, and this is by Monica Olson and colleagues. The authors, the author whose name I recognize, is the second author, and that is Roland Lindqvist from the Swedish University of Agricultural Sciences in Uppsala, Sweden. And and Roland is a very very nice man. Uh, He plays the electric guitar for fun, uh, and he's a very uh, you wouldn't expect that of him because he's a very sort of um, sort of proper and very sort of Swedish. You know, uh, introvert type person, but apparently he likes to rock out uh, with the electric guitar. So, and he's uh, again a good, good friend and colleague. And so, what they what they did here was they looked at um, uh, basically what are the conditions uh, under which you know if you take these different products and you inoculate them with different molds, um, uh, how long does it take until you have uh, detectable uh, toxin production? And so, if you go down to uh, Figure three um, uh, and, uh, or sorry, figure two. And you look at the, uh, bottom panel of figure two. No, you figure two itself, figure one is on the top, figure two is on the bottom. And basically it looks at uh, incubation time in days. And then the, uh, they mark on the figure, the TDIPAT, uh, which is the concentrations above the dotted lines correspond to an intake above the TDI which is the something like tolerated daily intake for patulin at the median portion size in an adult person and so basically this is the the line uh, that you should not cross according to um, Risk management decisions about patulin and so basically what it says is that uh, three days. You're okay uh, seven days um, You're 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 in trouble ten days and 14 days. You're really in trouble Um, And then if you look at the at figure one uh, what you can see is that basically at about three days you barely have a colony, uh, and then and then uh, five days you uh, and these are these are model predictions, I believe. Um, observed growth, uh, fitted growth rates, yeah. Observed colony diameter. Oh, at different temperatures, right? And so basically the idea here is that you can uh, you can look at uh, that's fifteen degrees, so. Yeah so basically you know depending on the temperature and depending on the colony diameter you have various levels of risk and but basically what it comes down to is if you really see any kind of a colony um you, it looks like you're you're really you know, you're really not, uh, the, the, levels of patulin or the levels of mycotoxin would be too high. So again, very, um, very useful. All of these are, or both of these are useful documents for trying to figure out, uh, what the, what the risk would be for these kinds of products. And so can't really do justice to them on the podcast, but, but again, this is a great, a great start. And, and certainly, um, supports, I think a lot of our previous conversation about the topic
0: yeah, it's and this is really I appreciate Linda sending these to us because I think it really uh, gets into the nuance of of molds and and some of you know some of the things that uh, that we do when it comes to recommendations around around spoilage, right? So so this the, what I what I kind of gather from from all of this um, is is that if if mold's there, and it's a mycotoxin, if it's in a jam, it's going to be pretty hard to guarantee that it didn't migrate. Right. Like, like, so, right. so we can, we can certainly cut off the top. Um, but, and, and what, what's, what I think is missing is what, what's the likelihood that it migrates at what depth and distance, um, and which, but, but it's kind of like, all right, is there, and, and this is, you know, like it it comes back to the thesis of this whole podcast, which is it's not zero risk. It's probably pretty low risk, but we certainly can see like, these aren't theoretical examples. This is, this is stuff that, that, that we can see happen. Um, and so I really, yeah, I, I appreciate Linda sort of sending these on, um, because, and I, I sent these, uh, as soon as she sent them to us, uh, I sent these on to, to my group because we do a lot of work in like spoilage and mold. And I was like, this is these, these two papers need to go into our decision-making on how we communicate this stuff. Like this is, this is part of part of the story that, that isn't there. It, it wasn't part of our, our communication up until now. Um, right, right, so, and, and and again, I'll point people um, if they get a
1: hold of these. Um, and again, you probably you probably won't be able to get a hold of them unless you have access to um, a university library. But you can always get them through interlibrary loan. Um, and, and so, basically, um, looking at table two in in the second manuscript, um, if you look zero to two centimeters from the moldy surface, okay, um, after and this is uh, apple jam or creme fresh after fourteen days at fifteen degrees C, you basically have Essentially very high levels of different mycotoxins um, if you go two to four centimeters for some of the mycotoxins You still have detection although yeah. the levels are lower and then if you go greater than four centimeters now you have it looks like a few more are below the limit of detection, but there is still detectable mycotoxin, some mycotoxins in some products. And so the question would be, you know, or the the what you would you know what you would say is, well, what about um, wait? So this is this is no, this is greater than four centimeters. So so it's not hmm, it's not clear exactly what they did what, what that greater than four centimeters means. But, but apparently at some distance greater than four centimeters, we have to read the methods, but at some distance greater than four centimeters, you still had in some of these, uh, with some of these molds, you still had
0: detectable microbes Right. right, Yeah. Yeah, exactly like that. Yeah. It's, uh, it's pretty, yeah, it's pretty interesting. Um, okay. So here's my, here's my follow up Cause this all came from a discussion that we had about squirrel jam. Did we mention that at the start of this? No, but, we did. Well, we alluded, we alluded to an earlier podcast, yes. which, um, which I will,
1: I will link to. And it was, and, and this is, and just to be clear, Squirrel Jam is not jam made from squirrels. <laughs> oh. It is, it is a company that got into some, a little bit of uh, hot water or a little bit of uh foldy moldy. <laughs> Fuzzy, I started to say fuzzy and then I changed it to moldy and that became foldy, um, uh, moldy, fuzzy, uh, jam. And they got in some little bit of uh, trouble in the news media about that. So we'll, we'll link to the previous episode of, of this podcast where we talked about that.
0: Yes. So, so I, I have an update on that, um, w- which is, uh, my, uh, my, my, my wife, the, the lovely Danielle, um, <laughs> how I refer to her everywhere. Um, she listened to a podcast where someone was talking about squirrel, uh, jam, not, not this podcast on you and I talked about it, but one of her other podcasts, her real podcasts, um, and then she can't remember what it was. So I've asked her a couple of times to be like, what, what podcast was it? Can, can, can I listen to it? Can can I link to it? She's like, I don't know. I listen to so many podcasts that aren't yours. I don't, they all, they all run together. Um, anyway, th- they talked about the eater, um, controversy around squirrel jam and the mold. Um, and so she, she like texted me from downstairs. Cause we, you know, I I'm upstairs in my office and she's downstairs. She's like, Hey, I just listened to this podcast. I'm going to order us some squirrel jam. Cause, <laughs> cause it's, it's mold. I don't want to know what, like what makes a jam $14 which is how much the strawberry rhubarb jam that we that we got uh cost. Four, 14 plus shipping, which I think it was like 17.50 or something. And how much jam did you get for that price? Uh oh gosh, 6 6 ounces? Like Oof. it's not a lot of jam. It's definitely I I can't think that it's 8 ounces. It is no more than 8 ounces. So mm-hmm. so it is uh, I I've, I've sent you uh the link to this strawberry rhubarb jam. Uh, I'll read the all of the phenomenal copy that goes along with this. Um, rich, comma very berry, uh, comma balancing. So it's not not balanced, but it's it's a it's a jam that will balance you. That's what I huh. that's what I read okay. as yeah. balancing as origins. What else can we say? This is the crowd favorite of jams. We get our strawberries delivered to our door from the wonderful Gutierrez Farm, while our rhubarb is harvest, harvested by Elva Galliano from Trevino Farms. Ingredients: Chandler strawberries, rhubarb, cane sugar, Sorrento lemon juice. All of those are certified organic. So I, he, I, I'm going to tell you about it, Don. Uh, it arrived. We, um, we, we, D- uh, Danny made some biscuits so we could try this on on some freshly baked biscuits. Uh, I, I, put, um, and, and biscuits that are, you know, that's a Southern term. Uh, we, we also refer to them as, as scones in, in Ontario, very similar, mm. similar, similar. So, so I put a little bit, a little bit of butter and then I dropped this strawberry rhubarb jam on it. It was, it's very runny. It is mm. not what I thought uh, the jam would be like. It's more of a, like, like if you put the jam on your, your, um, your biscuit, it will run off the side. It doesn't st- it doesn't stand up, so so I would say if we were judging this jam at the North Carolina State Fair, <laughs> it would not do well because of that. It doesn't stand up in the spoon, Um, and it won't sheet while you like a jelly will um, either when you when you pour it off. But it, it's quite runny. It's very tasty. I, I I will not. I would say this is a crowd favorite. But most interestingly about this, and I'll send you a picture of this. There is a spot on the jar for best before dates for quality, right? Which might have to do with, with mold in, in a jam from squirrel. It was never stamped. I don't know. I don't know how long it's best before, like forever. Well, and and the other
1: interesting thing is we'll, so we'll link to the Shopify site that sells this, um, on, so it has a, a rather unremarkable picture of the, the jar um, and then, it, and it has some details below that, uh, including, um, uh, <laughs> micro, microbiological testing results, uh, showing, uh, below detection limit for xerophilic mold and zero yeast. And it also gives the pH. So
0: really, I hadn't noticed that until you just told me. <laughs> Man, that's really interesting. It's got a product like this looks like for the lot that they're currently shipping, which was um, you know at least the sampling was done on uh, July 16, twenty twenty, which was probably right around the time that the squirrel like this all blew out. Maybe they're starting to include this um, on on all of their stuff. But yeah, no. Now, dis- do, yeah. do you does does your does the product that you purchased have a code date? I I don't know. I'm gonna have to go get it. I'll, I'll That's a little bit of follow up that I'll text you about. Okay. Um, cool. But the picture, yeah, like there's it definitely doesn't say anything about Best Before Date. I don't think anything's stamped on it. So I don't know if it's from this uh from this batch or not. Hmm. Yeah. So anyway, thanks to Linda for the for the great great follow-up. Thanks to the competing podcast for inspiring my wife to to order this. Um who, who, who we would definitely call out if we knew what they were. Right. But she listened right. Don, I, I wanna requote her because I, I I may you may have missed it. <laughs> I listen to so many podcasts that aren't yours. They all blend together. <laughs> That's what okay, she said. Yes, fair enough. fair she, enough. Yeah. So I, I, I want to. I also want to report. She does not listen to our podcast. No. So, so, but she listens to so. There are so many podcasts that she listens to it, that are not ours. <laughs> So <laughs> uh, that's, that's fine. I understand. And, but before
1: we, before we leave this topic, I cannot resist um, uh, talking about the wonderful Gutierrez farm. Um, that makes me think of course, of Alma Gutierrez, um, who is a character on the wire, um, who uh, was a young um, journalist who got educated as to the meaning of the word evacuate. So we will, <laughs> we will link to that classic clip from the wire about what, does, uh, miss Gutierrez. What does, what do you think the word evacuate means? Oh, so So, good. Yes. Wonderful, wonderful, uh, wonderful scene. And, uh, just a delightful TV show that I I, recently, I made my wife watch, um, the, uh, uh, S1E1 opening scene, uh, with Snot Boogie. Um, uh, uh, because at some point, some something came up and it's like, oh yeah, got to man, this America. So, anyway, it was just like, yeah, Any, anytime anybody says anything remotely like, uh, this is America, it's like, yeah, got to man, this America.
0: <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Now we're gonna link, we're gonna link to that one as well. So, uh, hey, so uh, we didn't talk about like things that we're watching other than the debate at the start of the episode. Um, but you gave me a, uh, a recommendation last uh episode about, um, would I lie to you? um which mm-hmm. is not a, a not a so- an 80s song by Millie Vanilli I think but also but it is a BBC show that uh it many a few episodes has uh, Greg Greg Davis Greg Davies uh, uh, pronounced Davis um but also so so I found a YouTube channel that has every episode yep. all yep. 13 seasons and I have yep. been in reverse chronological order watching one or two of them every night before we go to bed and it is it's a great show and it's, it's- it's so it's so great. It's clever. It, they're very funny. Um, it, it 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 um you know we we do talk about um, British shows a lot, and I make fun of them a lot, and in, and in, in you as part of that. But but but, <laughs> da, but Danny and I like there is something about a British sense of humor that is different. That, oh, for sure. And and it's yes. just very clever. Um. So yeah. so yeah. We so thank you for that that recommendation and. Um, and go go find would I lie to you the British and and only one season of it exists on Amazon Prime So but they're all available on YouTube on this on a YouTube channel. So yeah, it's, it's really really good Yeah, so yeah, just high, highly recommended uh,
1: David Mitchell. I think is one of my favorite uh, favorite British comedians um, And uh, yeah, and Lee Mack is also a regular and of course Rob Rob Brydon is the host and uh, yeah now I want to go watch that um, Rob Brydon in that show he did, where did they do Michael Caine? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I've got to find that clip now. Um, so uh, if I can recommend, I don't know if you've watched all of the, the most recent season, season 13, but there is a Christmas episode with Steven Merchant and, uh, who is, who's also one of my favorite comedians, uh, and Sharon Osbourne. Um, so go, if, if, go find that one. Cause it's, it's excellent. I think um, I think we have I think we have watched that as well. It's so so good. So anyway, thanks thanks for oh, that yeah. so, recommendation. So the,
1: the Michael Caine. Uh, this is this is from a show that uh, Rob Bryden did uh, co- called The Trip, uh, which is a uh, a show that Michael uh, that uh, Rob uh, Rob Bryden does with Steve Coogan. So um it's uh, it's it's very good to watch them try to out michael kane uh impersonate each other so we will we will link to that um uh, we will link to one of those clips so awesome, yes, awesome. Cool, good cool, stuff cool.
0: uh hey so i have a heart out at 11 just as a me too okay well too. that's convenient for both of us um i so th- there's a couple of things that i wanted to just give a quick quick hits on just yeah. things that are happening in the in the world of food safety. So we've got a, a, like, I think a pretty interesting outbreak, um, linked to, uh, wood ear mushrooms. Are you, uh, Mm -hmm. are you familiar with this? I have been, uh, sort of quasi following this, which means that every time Marler sends me an email, I read it. Uh, right, Right. Right. So, so we've got, uh, 41 cases, uh, it's, uh, a Salmonella Stanley infection. And, uh, I just want to highlight that my dog's name is Stanley, not named after Salmonella Stanley, <laughs> but named after the Stanley cup. Uh, <laughs> and, um, so this is, it, 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 the wood ear mushrooms are, are commonly known as kickerage or dried fungus. Um, and so we, we talked about a previous outbreak linked to a similar type of product, um, that, that are, uh, the dried mushrooms are, are rehydrated and used in a variety of, of ways, including teas and, and certain, um, uh, other pro, you know, other dishes. And so, so here we've got this, you know, I, you know, I just, I, I put this in the category of salmonella associated with low moisture foods, um, mm-hmm. a mushroom, um, issue may be related to production, maybe related to packaging. I don't, I don't really know. Um, uh, at, you know, at this point, uh, but a, a pretty, pretty decent size outbreak, uh, linked to one, um, one distributors, uh, package, packaged goods of, uh, of these, uh, of these mushrooms. And so, you know, I, you know, I guess for, for me kind of, kind of takeaways are I, I, I look suspect, suspectedly at every dried food. Like, like oh, I, for sure. right. Like I, I, I would not, every spice that I have in my spice counter, my coffee beans, everything that is dried, I think is, uh, like, I don't think it has salmonella, but it would not surprise me at all if it did. Um, based, based on just numerous outbreaks and cases linked to, to dried foods. And I still think, I, st- I still really think that that surprises people who are not microbiologists.
1: Like, like, yeah, and I'll, I'll, I'll mention, um, that I did, I gave a talk, um, uh, f- a webinar for, um, NIEHA, uh, last month, uh, no, this month, sorry, earlier this month, um, entitled Salmonella job security for food microbiologists and and it's basically all about my life in in, in i mean it's a little i mean because it's all about me ben but um i just wanted to talk about like what could i talk about that would be interesting well let's talk about salmonella because it's it's just a it's a it's a bug that just keeps on giving right and we've done research from a variety of angles looking at salmonella you know thinking about the almond risk assessment and actually thinking about the work that my student uh, matt igo is right now. Um, looking at Salmonella survival modeling. Um, and it's just, uh, anyway, it's, uh, it, it was a lot of fun to do. Um, it, it looks like you can still register for it, which is weird because it's, it's already happened. I wonder what happens if you click on register now.
0: Maybe you can um, uh, see a recording. Uh,
1: re- webinar is over. You can't register now. Oh. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if it's posted. It doesn't look like it's posted, but, um, I can't see a, I can't see a link. Um, but anyway, well, I apologize. Oh wait, no. Um, let's see. No, I don't, I no, I apologize. I will, I will see if I can find out more about this. I thought they were going to post it, but, uh, yeah, anyway, it was a lot of fun to do and yeah, job security for
0: food microbiologists. Right, right. Yeah. Cool. Well, good. And, and I, I and I, uh, I don't want to out anything here, but I think you might be work. Are you working on something oh. like a publication on this? Like, oh hey, uh, so real time follow up. Um, there is a link where you can view the webinar, and we will we will link to that page. <laughs> okay, excellent, good, good, good. But but is, is it? Am I wrong to say that there might be a, a publication in the future on low moisture foods uh, and and risks and salmonella? Is that is that true? Yes. Yeah. That, this is true. It's a true thing. Good. 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 I don't want. That's all I want to say about it. Um, yep. So, so on that, I guess a couple of cool things Well, not cool for obviously the people that got sick, but things that are in this outbreak, um, response that I want to highlight, um, uh, of this is from CDC in interviews, ill people answered questions about foods they ate and other exposures in the week before they became ill 18 of, of people with information. Of 18 people with information, 16 of them, which is 89% reported eating ramen at a restaurant in the week before their illness started. Several people reported eating at the same ramen restaurants showing they may be part of illness clusters. Um, and so the traceability uh, for these clusters were identified at restaurants serving ramen in three different states. Eight of the nine ill people linked to restaurant clusters reported eating wood ear mushrooms or ramen containing wood ear mushrooms in the week before their illness started. And so that that's like a home run that we almost never see in these outbreak investigations. Um, from, from this sort of multiple restaurants, one particular product. And so, um, we'll also link to the FDA recall notification, uh, associated with this, with this product, but it was, this product specifically was dis- distributed in five pound bags to restaurants who, uh, incorporated into their ramen in just a ton of different States, including, um, both the great city of New Jersey and the great state of North Carolina. So, uh, local content for us. Uh, but yeah, so ramen was really, really our, our situation here. And I, and I, this makes sense to me, right? Like we've got salmonella that is stressed, uh, from, from, uh, being dried in the wood mushrooms and then we add it to ramen. And my guess is when I add it to ramen, it's not at a temperature that's going to kill that salmonella that's in the wood mushroom. Um,
1: exactly. And, and we we'll, we should also say that they, they did California department of health did collect a fungus from one of the restaurants they tested the fungus they yeah they tested the mushroom the fungus mushroom and, and identified salmonella and and uh, currently they're doing whole genome analysis to see if the salmonella from the fungus is the same as the salmonella from the old people my bet is that it will be the same yeah um, so obviously there's something in the the production of this particular batch or batches of mushrooms that, that led to the problem but yeah salmonella survives really well in dry foods and 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 if you don't reheat those dry foods or if you add those dry foods to wet foods that are not that hot then uh, yeah it's, it's you're you're gonna get sick
0: yep yep and, and and we'll like we'll see more of these right like this is this the, just like the pandemic this one's not going away uh low low moisture yep. foods and salmonella um okay so the other thing I wanted to give you like uh, like I wanted to get your take your hot take on is uh an article that appeared in the New York Times uh a week or so ago it's coming your way it's in the it's in the folder but just just mm-hmm. so you see it uh headline. Um, this is by Jillian Friedman. Bluebell is hit with a, 17 and a quarter million million penalty over the 2015 listeria contamination. Uh, so let me read from the article here. It's a Department of Justice uh, fine them. Uh, they must pay $17 million uh, plus in criminal penalties for shipments of contaminated product linked to the 2015 uh, listeria outbreak. Uh, federal court in Texas declared on Thursday. That was not this last Thursday, but another Thursday. Uh, Bluebell uh, plead guilt, pleaded guilty in May to two misdemeanor counts of distributing adulted ice cream products. Prosecutors in the case charged that the company dispensed products that were manufactured under unsanitary conditions, contaminated with listeria. Um, and then uh, this is from Acting Assistant Attorney General. Uh, Jeffrey Bossert-Clark, American consumers must be able to trust the foods they are. they purchase are safe to eat. The sentence imposed today sends a clear message to food manufacturers that the Department of Justice will take appropriate actions when contaminated food products endanger consumers. Uh, let me tell you, Don, this one surprised me. Like like this – and, and I'm, I guess, pleasantly surprised about this. Uh, the Bluebell-linked uh, Listeria outbreak that we've talked about a, a lot – uh, on this podcast, going back to to our inception, I, you know, this has a, been a a running conversation. Not one of the largest outbreaks that we've seen, right? Like like a magnitude. Right. Well, I think it is four deaths and eleven illnesses, right? Um, and $17 dollars $17 in criminal fines. That's not including anything that's happened or is currently happening on the um, uh, on the civil uh, lawsuit side. Uh, this is that this is like a what, what's the cliche this is a shot over the bow to the food industry like this you, if you have a historic and systemic uh, uh ign- ignoring ignore, ignorance ignore, ignorance of mm-hmm. uh, of food safety uh and you're doing stuff where you're sampling for Listeria in your plant and you have results and then FDA over years comes and says, what are you doing about these? And you don't actually do anything about it. 17 and dollar fine is not like, that's not, it's not inconsequential. It's a lot of money.
1: Yeah. And, and I think, you know, we, we need to differentiate between this outbreak and the other one that's linked in this New York times article. Uh, with Chipotle, and then yeah. uh, also uh, the the link at the foot of that article, Bluebell's chief, chief executive was charged in a conspiracy to cover up the outbreak. Like, th- th- that's a different sort of thing than what we're seeing going on with this um, with this mushroom outbreak, right? Like, fool me once, shame on you. You know, fool me twice, shame on me, right? Like, like, FDA is done screwing around, right? If you if you have this systematic pattern. Um, and you and you basically insist that everything's fine, or you try to cover it up. They're going to come after you, right? And so the best thing, if you're a food company and you get hit with an outbreak, I think I think about the the outbreak linked to the the facility in New Brunswick, New Jersey, that was the fruit cutting facility. It's like, yep, we did it. We're we're sorry. We did it. We want to make it better, right? that's a much better response than, well, you guys don't know what you're doing, and why are you talking about us unfairly, and, right. well, we don't really have a problem. And, look, again, the, the sort of the, the classic canonical case, which is worse than any of these, is the American uh, Peanut Butter Corporation, where they, like, literally just said, well, we'll just, just test it again, send it to a different lab this time, and then ship it, right? I mean, like, if you, if you're, if you are honestly contrite and you, and you admit your guilt, it's good. Like you'll 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 get through it. You'll you'll suffer, but you'll get through it. If you you try to pretend it's not a problem, or you 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 basically try to cover it up that's, it's not going to end well for you. And and I think, like I said, FDA is, is done screwing around, right? Department of Justice. This is, these, these are relatively unprecedented, right? Like in my career, um, this is not the normal way things go, right? Right. But, but apparently it is now, which is, which is probably a good thing, right? The bad, and again, we, I've said before, I'll say again, most people in the food industry are, want to do the right thing and they're good. They're good people. They want to make safe food. And for those of you that, don't think that way well the government's coming for
0: you i mean at least at least for now well and and so yeah this poses like to me an interesting um conundrum in in this whole situation i i am i i think this is a real penalty i think this is this is good right and i'm Mm -hmm. sure that that in uh there are some circles some of the folks that, that we know who are in the in- industry would sometimes say well maybe this isn't good right like this th- this this is it's too hefty I, I i disagree i think this is a good thing this is real teeth too this isn't a you know a six thousand dollar fine are, are do you th- i mean and I, I know the answer to this already so i'm going to answer i'm going to ask it rhetorically but do you think mm-hmm. that the that the department of justice is going after a small food processor in North Carolina who, who is doing things as egregiously as this, it, or are they going after Bluebell because they're Bluebell and it's a big, it's a big corporation that has a big national brand. Like the small processor doesn't have $17 million in fines, but you know, so what, what, like what, what, how do we, how do we reconcile that? Right. It's not going to be applied equally across businesses. And I, and maybe I'm okay with that. I, I just, you know, having having this, uh, I don't know how to answer the question for some for, for some small uh, processor who is like, yeah, but we're not going to get hit with a seventeen million dollar fine. True, but they might put you out of business. It might maybe a six thousand dollar fine puts you out of business, and maybe it's it's the scale of how much money you do make um, m- matters here. But are they going to put the same amount of time from a from a Department of Justice investigation into a small processor? Pro- probably not. Probably not. No. And they're, and they're going to, yeah, I mean, they're, and they're going to make, mean, and again, it could, I mean, states could still
1: take action yeah. like it's a North Carolina processor, the state of North Carolina, uh, you know, department, I guess there's a state department of justice, right? I would um, think so. Let's, I mean, whatever, I think they still, the state equivalent is, you know, I hope so. state attorney generals, you know, state attorney generals go after bad people all the time, like yep. in New York state, for example, not to mention any, uh, people, <laughs> Um, you know, yeah. so, so if you're a bad person, um, you know, the, the cops are going to come get you. Hopefully.
0: Yeah. Well, and, and I hope this is like precedent for that. Like the, you know, the, the civil costs are, are important. We've seen that over our careers. Um, the loss of reputation is important, but getting hit with a massive federal fine and criminal charges, that's bad, right? Like that, that adds, that's a, that, that adds something else to the, to the reasons why people should do a good job at food safety. So, yeah.
1: And if you, and here's the thing, if you do a bad thing, that's bad. If you do a bad thing and you try to cover it up, that's worse. Right. I mean, again, this is classic, uh, Watergate, right? It's not the crime. It's the cover up. So yeah. So don't
0: do that. If you do a bad thing and you didn't know it was a bad thing and then you try to like fix it, that's a, that's, it doesn't turn into a good thing, but that's better.
1: Yeah. Like, well, again, I think of Jensen farms, yep. right? Those, those poor guys thought they were doing a good job cleaning, uh, the cantaloupe, but instead they were just inoculating with Listeria and it's, and that's bad, but they were trying to do a good thing.
0: Yep. 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 Well, I think that's a show. Uh, I think it's a show. All right. Well, Don, uh, as always great to talk to you. Um, we, uh, we haven't, we haven't chatted. We, we, we have a gap of a week. Um, Uh, in our in our recording but it's not going to be a gap of the week in the in the release so uh, but anyway it was good catching up with you today bye-bye
1: like bye-bye
0: we got two minutes um how does how how does two week two weeks from today October 13th look in the morning uh, looks looks fine' looks All fine right. should we go should we try 10 sure okay I I have a hard out at 12 30 and it's I let's say I'm okay. I, I, soft out at 12 oh wait um, oh, wait a minute. Um, I have a
1: hard out at 1130. So 10 is not okay. Let's four. go. Nine. <laughs> yeah, that won't work. Okay.
0: Sorry about that. No, that's all right. Nine. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. God. Got it. Okay. And then this episode is mine. Um, yeah. And I, I'll, um, yeah. uh, I, I,
1: I will, uh, I've got everything. I'll, I'll, I'll drop every, uh, everything into the right document and you'll, and I've got titles and I've got uh, show notes links momentarily coming. Perfect. Awesome. All right. I will, uh, I'll talk to you later. Oh, uh, oh, well,
0: well, one more thing. So the, um, the, the episode that I was mine is going to come, is going to post today at one o'clock. Oh, okay, cool. I'm not worried. You know, I was delinquent on the last one for two weeks. So when, yeah, we're good. <laughs> um, I will, All right. yeah, I'll post this one next week sometime. Sounds good. Cool. Bye. All right.